What's up? This is Maggie. Today I have Kevin Stewart on the show. He's the head of engineering for Harvest. He was the VP of engineering at Fastly, Heptio, and NodeSource. He also spent many years at Adobe as an engineering leader. And he also wrote this awesome piece for Increment on how to build a startup engineering team that really hooked me because he related process to Michael Pollan's food rules. Use process, not too much, mostly agile. So I knew I needed to get him on the show. And today we get into what good process looks like and how to work together as product and engineering. I hope you enjoy it. So we're stressed, we're fearful, the world's ending. So we're all set for this. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So today I want to cover two concepts that are topics that just come up, I think, over and over again, and that's process and also working with products. I think it's especially interesting to get your take as an engineering leader. And where I'd love to start is just with the topic that I think often comes up as like the bad word, which is process. And at least from my perspective as someone on on the product management side, I feel like it often seems or the stereotype is that we are forcing process onto an engineering team. But you've made the case in the past that teams actually need process and that process doesn't have to be static and teams should be able to change it. So how do you describe why process matters to your teams? Uh, The way I think about it is that you have a set of goals you're trying to accomplish and very rarely are they things that you can accomplish just by winging it. Everyone has a process, whether they want to admit it or not. It's just a matter of how formal and how structured that process is. And what I've seen over time with engineering teams is that they, depending on their background, have a very mistaken notion of what process is. They think it's just people who don't know how to do what they do, telling them how to do (laughs) their job. And I've seen that happen, but that's definitely not the majority of the cases out there. So what I usually do is try to explain to them that, We need some sort of guardrail, some sort of structure in order to accomplish the goals that we have. And that's really all process should be overall. It's not restricting their creativity. It's not just meaningless rules for bean counters or us mindless managers who they have no idea what we do. It's really just a way to make it easier for them to accomplish their goals. One thing that I think is interesting is that it's not something, at least in my opinion, that should be handed down and you can't question or investigate why it exists. I think that's also some people, maybe I'm reading into it, but they would say like, oh, this is happening to me versus I am participating in this process and I get to have an influence over it. Yeah. And I think that's largely driven by the way the process sometimes is presented to folks. It's not always presented as a collaborative thing. If you look at how most process is introduced into an engineering team, it's generally whatever the flavor of the month methodology is back in the day with Scrum and TDD and all of these various things that somebody wrote a book on or gave a conference talk on. And then a manager or another leader came down with their two stone tablets to say, thou shalt execute this process. So it's never really been introduced as something collaborative, where in the majority of cases, the intent of those processes was for it to be collaborative, was to be meant as a way that you can learn about how you're working, what's working, what's not working, and then improve upon it. And I think that's probably the biggest sticking point with a lot of processes is that people see it as a one-shot thing versus as the starting point to a more learning organization. Right. Someone I work with, Tim, who's our head of design, he has something he said, which I don't know if he got it from a book, but I love it. He says when a new teammate comes on, you have to first learn to play the sheet music 
And then once you've learned to play the sheet music, then you can start to improvise. And that's been one of my favorite ways of understanding, like, first, just try to do it the way that the team is doing it, especially if you're new or you're changing something. And then once you've gone through it a couple of times, then it's you've learned something, it's worked or it hasn't worked, and then you can start to make it better. Absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. So then I think oftentimes, especially as a, as a product person, I run into the person who is just a doubter or like you're saying, is just like not bought in, doesn't want to do it, thinks they know better. How do you help engage people who are the stereotypical doubter when they're on your team? Let's start with a few things. First, I try to get a strong understanding of what's the source of their doubt. Is Some folks are just curmudgeons and doubt everything, and sometimes justifiably so. Other cases, it just doesn't match the things that they've seen. And admittedly, they may not have seen everything, so it's just unfamiliarity. So I really try to just talk with them and understand why they doubt that this is a good thing or this is something that could work. Then I'll look for examples of things that haven't gone well in the past and just sort of ask them, well, why do you think that is or what could we have done differently? Because it's easy to point out problems. Very rarely do people point out the solutions. So rather than start with the abstract, I'll go find something concrete. Like we missed these ship dates repeatedly and had these types of problems when we rolled things out to production. What were some of the root causes of that? What could we have done differently? And when they start thinking through that, Hopefully, with enough exposure to what we're trying to introduce, they start to connect the dots and say, oh, I get it because we've had these problems. This is what we're trying to avoid. And they sort of find their way to the solution. Other times, it has to be a little bit more directed and sort of pointing out, well, here are some incidents where we applied this process and it actually worked or other people have applied this process and it worked. And we think that it might help us in our case and try to get them to think through that Do you believe that'll work or do you still see problems? So it's really just a matter of trying to walk them through and point at things that they can actually connect to to see if we can remove their doubts. Sometimes you can't. And when you get to that point, you go to the more obvious, well, what we're doing hasn't been working. So we're going to try something different and I need you to get on board. Like, But I try to save that for last. Like, You don't want everything to be a tell. You want people to buy in. You want them to understand why you're doing it. But at some point, you also have to make a decision and just push things in a certain direction if you have to. Yeah. And I think also what's worked for me is being able to describe how when I didn't follow a process, the trouble I got in. I think that's always something that I have in my back pocket is that I don't want to make a team or suggest a team do something a certain way. If I haven't walked the walk or at least been through that process a couple of times and I can say with confidence, I think this is better because when I did this, this is the pit I fell into. And being able to say like, yeah, I've skipped these things and then we missed all of our ship dates and nine months later, we're still working on this thing that's kind of going nowhere and like, don't be me do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to outcomes. And I don't think that even the strongest cynic wants a negative outcome for whatever you're doing. So it's really a matter of just trying to illustrate to them, like, this is the outcome we want. And here's how we think we're going to get there. I try not to do the, in my experience thing too often, because then sometimes people are like, well, that was you, or that works for you. It really depends on the team. So you try to get a temperature check on like what they're going to be more receptive to. But yes, experience is sort of the best educator. So it's like, well, if I've done this before and I know it does work, it's worth a shot unless you have a better suggestion. And again, you always leave the door open for someone to provide another alternative because 
people want to feel like they're being heard and they want to feel like they haven't put into the situation. But in many cases, some folks just haven't had the experience enough to know that this will work in this situation or this won't work in this situation. And it's just fear of the unknown is what they're really pushing against. Right. That's a good point. So then, of course, I have to ask you, do you have a structure or a process or a way of working that is your preferred way? Or when you join a company, is it just like, let me learn what they're doing and then fix things or help where I can? That's a mix. So I always have told my teams that every process breaks down to my preferred process, which is BFPL, big friggin' prioritize list. Um, (laughs) That's kind of what it always comes down to. (laughs) But how you execute that big friggin' prioritize list will differ from company to company. So whenever I join a team, I spend the first month or so just observing how they do what they do currently, look at what's working, what's not working, make notes on it. Then I'll try and introduce suggestions for the things that I think are critical and need the most attention. But I try not to change too much right away because you're still in the process of building trust with the team. So I'm never the type that comes in and say, okay, everything you're doing is terrible. We're throwing it all out and we're going to do it my way. Never do that. Um, It (laughs) will not work for you. Well advised to just go in and observe for a while and look at the things where you can make the most impact and make the changes there. There are some motherhood and apple pie type things, like if they're not using version control, yeah, you probably want to change that right away. If the bill system has been broken for six months, maybe you should pay some attention to that. So there are low-hanging fruit type things that I always look out for, but assuming that they have the basics in place, then it's really a matter of looking at those outcomes. Like, why does it take a week to deploy something to production? That seems odd. We should try and tackle that. Or we're always having these types of failures whenever we deploy then why don't we do something about that? Those are the types of things I look for and try to make improvements on early on. Yeah, it's interesting. I think on the product management side, there are so many debates around this is the right way, this is the only way, like this is the way we should work. So I was just curious if there was as strong of a feeling from your perspective as there is sort of in the like PM world. The only thing that I would say this is the way we should work is collaboratively, but that can take so many different forms that I wouldn't say there's a specific way to do that. I don't think that folks should be dogmatic. Work, Use the things that work best for you. You know, I think the bigger challenge is that product tends to work a lot differently than engineering in many cases, and it's really how you cross that boundary that's really the important part. You know, I have seen at times product teams trying to influence the way engineering works without taking into account the things that engineering needs to be cognizant of and vice versa. So it's really building up that understanding between both teams, what the other does and why certain things are important and figuring out how to merge your processes in a way that it works best for everybody. Yeah, I think my favorite teams that I've been a part of are the ones where there is that deep understanding and and also I think respect of what each and I'll include design in this as well, like what each function is doing and why they matter. And I think when you have that and you have the trust that can come in the team, that's when I think regardless of what your process is, when the teams are performing the best, because it's like everyone knows why the other team is there and what they're adding to the outcome and they're able to kind of like work better together. Absolutely. The trust and respect is critical to have a healthy working relationship between the two teams. The other thing I think is just a matter of how you approach the work. One thing that I've seen that works really well is when your processes are staggered so that, say, while the engineering team is working on some feature work that's been well scoped out and the requirements are really understood, in some cases, the product teams 
are there working on the same feature at the same time. So they're almost hovering over engineering while work's being done. But if you shifted that and had the product team sort of scoping out the next set of work and really digging into that to have it prepared for the engineering team and just being available to address concerns on the current feature work, that sort of stagger balance gives everybody enough breathing room and space to do their things to the best of their ability without stomping all over each other. Basecamp has actually incorporated that into their process, ShapeUp, which they've documented at basecamp.com slash ShapeUp, that whole process of scoping out and writing a pitch for the next set of work and having that explicit staggering. And I think that's a really interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I really, I actually talked to Ryan Singer about that. And I, I love the way that they think about that. And that's something that we had a kind of a discussion about this. And I think this gets me to my next question, which is really about working with product. Because one thing that I've seen sort of varying ideas about or preferences around is like what the role is of product and engineering, especially kind of at the leadership level. How do you think about the split between like a product lead and an engineering lead and like who does what in terms of product strategy and the direction of the product? So at a high level, I've always thought that the relationship between product and engineering was that product figures out what's the right thing to build and engineering builds that thing right. And that sort of guided my thinking over the years of we have our roles to play and there is going to be overlap. I'm a very product-centric engineering leader, so I care deeply about are we solving the problem right? Is this really going to provide value for our users? And I've worked with product folks that were very deeply technical and cared about how much technical debt we're taking on. Is this architecturally the right solution? So there's always going to be overlap, but I think at the leadership level, we have to respect that. If I see something that should be happening on the product side, it's not my job to go and tell, say, some random product manager, hey, you should be doing X. It's to work with my counterpart and say, I'm concerned about these things, you know, but I'm trusting you to handle it and vice versa. I don't necessarily need or want someone coming and telling me how we should architect the solution because that's our space. And that does happen. People do sort of step on each other's toes that way. But I think if you just have that basic guidance of product, they're figuring out what the right thing to build is, and they are going to see things that we in engineering may not see because they're closer to customers, they're closer to the problem space. They should collaborate with us on the solution, but they should really own the problem. And we should own the solution technically, but collaborate with them to make sure that we're really addressing the right set of concerns over time. So my role is to almost play translator, to translate a lot of what product saying into the technical deliverables that my team is delivering. And my product counterpart is also translating a lot of the concerns, especially if we're doing a lot of deep architectural work to support the product work that some of the product managers may not understand. So it's definitely a collaborative and translation function that I see the leaders playing in the space. Yeah, I think that makes sense. One thing that we like to do is when we're starting on a on a new problem or a new, I guess, feature for lack of a better word, one of the things we do is we get in a room and we do this meeting that we call story time where the PM will take the room and it's usually the team that would work on the product. So the PM and the product designer, the tech lead and, and two engineers at a minimum would be in the room. And the PM kind of takes that team through, okay, here's the business context, here's the problem, here's all the customer context that I have. And then we start to develop open questions as a team because we really, at least I've seen in my experience, that 
engineers can have such great ideas about how we might solve a problem. And by allowing them and involving them in that first step where it's like, okay, let's get all the questions that we would need to answer in order to figure out what we should do out on the table before the PM and the designer go off and like finish the research and come up with the requirements. That's something that I've seen like really help build trust and help the team understand what they're doing. Yeah, that sounds great. And that is a common pattern I've seen over time. PMs have a lot of the same attributes as engineers in that they're problem solvers. And sometimes they may jump to the solution. And having that ability to collaborate up front and really have both sides understand the problem can lead to the generation of different solutions rather than the one that just first pops to mind. I also think there is a lever there in who really starts driving the solution more because you have different types of products. There are some products that are very engineering oriented, like you're building a product for other engineers. Engineering is probably going to have a lot more ideas and a lot more say on that because they feel closer to it versus say a consumer product where a PM might have a lot more expertise in the domain space. So at the end of the day, it's really just a matter of clearly articulating the problem and having both sides collaborate on the solution. So having something like story time sounds great. Yeah, it was it was interesting. My first job, my first product job, I guess now I would call it more old school, but it was one of those places where as a PM, I would write a full like specification and I would have all the requirements and I would work with design and get the designs. And then I would kind of hand it over to the engineering team. And at the time I didn't really know better, but it just created that environment where it's like ticket taking and it's like, well, I don't know if this is the best solution, but I guess it's what I have to do versus like everyone kind of being involved together in the thing that we were building. It's funny. I'm old enough to remember that time where you'd get a spec handed to you from a PM. I've always asked PMs, like, don't give me a huge spec. Just write one page. Like, if you can't capture the majority of what you want to accomplish in one page, then we probably haven't thought through the problem enough. But it's one of those things where... I've seen teams go into meetings to discuss a feature blindly. Like there's no input. It's sort of like, here's the whiteboard and let's figure it out. And it's really hard for a lot of engineering teams to work well that way because they need some time to think about the problem. So to me, the one pager approach is like, okay, let's write up that one page, distribute it to the engineering team beforehand. So the folks that need to or prefer to have that sort of space to go off and think about something on their own will then come into the meeting better prepared to discuss it than if you're just blasting them up from like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Tell me the solution. And they all stare at you like deer in the headlight sort of thing silent meeting where everyone's looking at you and you're like, cool, this is going to be great. (laughs) I love those meetings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing it's kind of on this topic, but what's been interesting to me as I've moved forward in my career is there's the sort of as a PM, how do you set up the problem and how do you work with your sort of direct engineering counterpart? Then as you become a, like a leader of PMs or a product lead, What's interesting to me is that you kind of mentioned this a little bit, like you still have your product counterpart. And something that I've been working on for the past quarter and a bit is building a much stronger relationship with my engineering counterpart, shout out Bernard, because I I realize that like if we are in sync and we don't have any surprises and we both understand the problem we're solving and the business direction and kind of everything that we need to know, that like flows through to the teams in a way that I was very surprised by. The relationship between product and engineering has changed and evolved over time a lot. But I think what I've seen work the best is just when the two sides complement each other and have a really high level of high bandwidth communication between the two. Then on the other side, I've seen the old school, there's just a wall and we're throwing things over the wall to each other. And then you get products 
well, I won't name any products <laughs> that seem to reflect <laughs> that sort of, I might get in trouble if I go that route. Yeah. <laughs> I think looking back, it seems really obvious, but what surprised me was that I had this engineering lead and, and we have all these teams that we're working with. And to me, it was sort of like we have at least an hour, if not more, every week where we sit down and we just run through really tactically, like, this is everything that's going on. This is all the stuff we're working on. This is where we're seeing trouble. Oh, I got this new analysis and I'm really excited or I got this new customer information. And so we're just constantly making sure that we both have the same set of information. And what I didn't realize was that that wasn't something that necessarily everyone else was doing. And I could start to see over the course of the quarter how other teams started to struggle in ways that we weren't struggling because we had spent so much time on that stuff. One place where we had the myself as the engineering lead, a product lead, and a design lead, and we called ourselves the triad because that's how closely we worked together and we had to make sure we were in sync. And that was one of the most productive periods of my career because we were able to finish each other's sentences or we had the same information at the same time when we had problems we all worked on it together to try and resolve that problem and move the product forward i've definitely seen teams that didn't work that way and the types of problems they experienced we just didn't have it because we had that high level of trust and communication so you kind of mentioned this a little bit but i'm curious like what are the biggest changes that you've seen in kind of how we work over the course of your career <sighs> there's so many different things um, <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i've seen the sort of friction between product and engineering result in weird behaviors like engineering leaders just taking over all of product, like literally have product reporting into engineering. In some cases, I've seen it the other way where they had engineering reporting a product. And that was more a byproduct of just the processes and systems not working and trust breaking down until people finally realized like, these are two distinct functions that have to work together, and there has to be a certain amount of creative tension between them. So putting one under the other doesn't solve anything. It just means one dominates the other. So I think once more people realize what product is, and I think there have been a lot more resources about product management, and I know there are a lot of people that love the stuff that Marty Kagan puts out. They quote a lot of his stuff, but understanding the role of product better. And having that communicated in engineering teams has definitely helped a great bit. And now, of course, with all the different collaborative tools, communication tools for people to work together, stuff like Asana and Clubhouse, where people can sort of share information together, but work the way they need to work in their own isolated functions has definitely helped facilitate transfer of information between the two groups a bit more. But I also think just basic changes in work, like having more distributed teams and forcing people to be more explicit about their communication has also just helped the relationship between product and engineering overall. It's not a mystery anymore of what that team is doing. We're all sort of in the same boat working together. Yeah, I guess that's that's a good point. I think definitely in, in some of the roles I've been in, there has been a bit of a mystery and a bit of like, a I don't know what they're doing, but you know, I'm trying to get something done. Obviously, that's not ideal. Definitely. I'd actually throw one other thing that a lot of people probably haven't thought about is that the types of folks that have joined engineering teams are a lot different than they were 15, 20 years ago. When I was coming up, it was sort of the CS grad or person who's been hacking on their computer since they were five, who were deeply technical coming up and sort of just having teams largely made of people like that. But over time, when you have more of the self-taught developers, people coming from other fields, there's been a lot more diversity on the engineering teams. And that has definitely had an impact on how those teams work and how they 
um, interact with other teams. It's not such a monoculture anymore. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I think product has has a reputation for having people of lots of different backgrounds. So I think maybe that's something that I, I wouldn't even have, have thought about. But yeah, you're right. I'm sure the type of people on the team has changed a ton. Definitely. I think I just have one last question before we run out of time. And that is, I'd love to know, like, what are you reading, listening to, especially we are in a work from home quarantine. So any suggestions on books, podcast shows that's keeping you interested these days? Definitely have a lot of books. I've been doing a lot of reading, especially since I've been on a sabbatical for the past like eight months now. So I'll just name a couple of books that I've been reading that have been pretty good. So as I mentioned, Shape Up was actually good. I read that while I was on vacation. So definitely an interesting take from the folks at Basecamp. Also recently read Whistleblower by Susan Fowler, which was both gripping and the entire time I was reading it, I was thinking that poor woman, she's had such a hard life and just makes you think what a lot of other women are going through in their careers, the challenges they're experiencing. The Unicorn Project by Jean Kim was a great business novel talking about software development and processes and systems. I literally couldn't put it down until I was done reading it. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. He has another, an earlier book called The Phoenix Project, which is a little bit more IT based. Unicorn Project just came out a few months ago and it's a really good read. And I'm actually currently rereading two books on engineering leadership. Uh, The first is The Manager's Path by Camille Fournier. That's on my recommended reading book for all engineering managers and frankly, engineers too, since it covers the various levels you go from IC to senior leader. So I think it's a great manual for folks in the field. And finally, An Elegant Puzzle by Will Larson is also just a great and well-designed book. The cover is fantastic on engineering leadership. So I definitely highly recommend those last two books for engineering leaders and product leaders too. Yeah, I was going to ask the manager's path. That's kind of been floating around on my radar. And I'm wondering, do you think it'd be worthwhile to have a non-engineer read it? Absolutely. If anything, just for a better understanding of some of the challenges that engineers and engineering leaders face, it's an easy read. It's the sort of thing I was like, man, I wish I had this earlier on in my career. Yeah, that's true. I think I I read, of course, the name of it is escaping me. Julie... It'll come to me. She wrote a, she's from the design, the woman who was a designer at Facebook and she wrote a book on management. Um, I read that recently. The Making of a Manager. Yes, I read that. that. That's also good. Yeah. 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 yeah, That one's, that was a good one. A little bit more on the design and product side. Mm -hmm. Definitely a good read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've had a chance to read some good books and the unicorn one sounds right up my alley. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking some time to come on the show, despite all the craziness in the world. Um, I really appreciate your take on process and how to work better with product. Thank you for having me. It's definitely been a pleasure. And I just hope that product engineering teams continue to work better together and make great stuff. Yes, me too. 